Well, good morning once again. Um, I'm uh, grateful to, to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, grateful to be able to, to uh, play some music again as well. Um, my family and I were away for the last couple of weeks, as some of you guys know. Uh, in fact, Aaron and the kids, they're still away this morning. I pick them uh, up later tonight, so I'm excited because I haven't eaten in like a week. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not because they're, you know, it's just because I need to lose some weight after vacation. Um, but I, I am uh, I'm grateful to be here and to be able to dig into the Word uh, together this morning. You know, for part of our, our family's time away, uh, we were in the mountains of, uh, of California. And uh, we were at a cabin that belongs to, to Aaron's family. There's a picture of it right there. So it's in the Sierras and a beautiful setting. And... Um, in the cabin, when you visit, uh, one of the things that, uh, uh, about the cabin is that there's a, a guest book that stays at the cabin. Um, and anyone who comes to visit can write in the book about their time in the cabin. And so you can go back and read what was written by others. I can go back and read about the first times that we brought our, uh, our son and daughter to the cabin. I can go back and read some of the things that I wrote. I can read what... Aaron has wrote, but I can also read what others have wrote, and this is a cabin that belongs to extended family, and so um, many of those who have written in this cabin book, I've never met before. They're like second, third, fourth generation cousins, and even Aaron hasn't met uh, many of them who write in this cabin book, but, but still you can go back and you can read what they wrote in this book, and as you do this, as you read what they wrote, you can kind of begin to assemble a picture of who they are, you know? Uh, you, you begin to learn the names of their kids or of their spouse, or you learn the name of their, the, their dog, which they brought up to the cabin with them, you know? Uh, you, you learn uh, about where they came from, where, uh, you know, what they like to do while they're at the cabin, what, what book they read, how many fish they caught, what hike they went on, what they had for dinner, all these different things that they write about. You can read all kinds of things about these, the, those who write in there. Now, the weird thing about this, I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this week. The weird thing about this is that if I was to finally meet one of these cousins in person, say there was a family gathering or something, and, and, and cousin Jim came up, and he introduced himself, and I put two and two together, you know, that this was Cabin Jim. Like, this is, okay, that's Cabin Jim, right? Now, in a weird way, I kind of know a lot about Jim, right? Like, and it, it's not too stalkerish, but, you know, I know some about Jim, right? Now, I've only just really met him, but I already know a lot about him. And so we could have a conversation, and I could say, hey, Jim, how's the weather in Smithville? Uh, like, hey, uh, have you been doing any fishing lately? Did you get your rod and reel fixed? Uh, I, I, uh, what'd you think about that last John Grisham book? You know, how's your dog Oscar doing? Now, now I don't know Jim at all. In fact, I just made all of that that up. But you know, but I could carry on a conversation with him or one of these other people that I've read about in this book without really knowing who they are. I just know about them. But what if? What if we took this a little bit further? And, and, and what if, during that conversation, Cabin Jim and I, we, we get to really talking. 
And, and he begins sharing his heart with me. And he begins telling me about who he really is. And he, he tells me about his, his life story. He tells me about his family. He begins sharing about the things that bring him joy. He begins sharing about some of the, the hard stuff that he's walked through in life. Now at that point, I've gone from knowing about Jim to knowing Jim. Because he has revealed to me some of who he truly is. This morning, we're going to begin a new teaching series. And over the course of the next seven weeks or so, we're going to be taking a look at a few different passages within the Gospel of John where Jesus does a very similar thing. He reveals to those around him who he is. He pulls back the curtain, so to speak, and he gives us this unique look into his identity of who he is. Now, there are seven different passages and, and statements by Jesus that we're going to look at over the course of this series. You saw them on the video. These are often referred to as the I am statements of Jesus because each of these seven statements, he begins with the words, I am. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. And, and, and Jesus uses these statements to share the nature of, of who he is. Now we're going to get started uh, this morning by looking at John chapter 6 and the very first of these statements which we encounter uh, where in verse 35 we read that Jesus says to those around him, I am the bread of life. Now a little background, uh, Jesus has be been becoming a, 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 a pretty popular guy as we find him here. He has been healing and he has been teaching and, and as he has been traveling, he's been with this kind of close-knit group of his disciples. But tons and tons of people have started seeking him out and following him as well. They have seen and heard about the miracles that, that Jesus has done. And they think that he's a prophet sent from God. And so they want to make him the, the, their earthly king. And so there are thousands of people who begin seeking out Jesus. You know, even when he just wanted to get away for a little bit, either by himself or, or with his disciples, the crowds would find him wherever it was that he went. In fact, uh, prior to this, in, in what I think provides this incredible backdrop to this text, we see this very same thing. It's this enormous crowd that follows Jesus and the disciples as they were trying to get away and rest. And it was likely ten to 15,000 people or more. We re read in the text the number 5,000, but that figure li likely left out women and children. And, and so more likely it was ten to 15,000 people or more that follow him up this mountainside. And Jesus Jesus being Jesus, he had compassion on them because they had nowhere to go and get food. And so he used the lunch of a little young boy, or I don't know if he's little and young, but they used, he used the lunch of a boy, and, uh, which was five loaves and two fish, and he fed the crowds. And so all these crowds had followed him there. And, that, and that's just what they're doing. The crowds are coming to him. And as we come to this text that we're looking at this morning, we see the very same thing. Jesus, he's in Capernaum. And after feeding the, those multitudes on that mountain, he had managed to break away from the crowd for a bit to go and pray. 
And, and, and now he's here with the disciples on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And the crowds have figured out where he is and they have hunted him down. They want to get to Jesus. And so that's where we're going to pick up this morning in the text. You can read along in your Bibles. Uh, there's some in the backs of some of the chairs or if you brought yours, if you want to look on your phone, just don't be on Instagram, uh, please. Uh, or you can follow along uh, on the screen as well. But beginning in verse 25, it says this. <clears throat> when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. <clears throat> then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now there's a lot going on in this text, and, and we're not going to tackle all of it this morning, but rather what I want to do this morning is to simply break apart that sentence in, in, in the last verse there, verse 35, the statement that Jesus makes, I am the bread of life. And, 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 and I want us to look at what Jesus is telling us and telling those around him about himself through this statement. Now as we do this, I think the, the place that we need to start with is the first two words that start this sentence off. And, and, and these are the two words that Jesus begins each of these statements that we're going to be looking at in this series with, I am. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. It's not often that two words can convey as much as, as is being conveyed here. But, but by Jesus using these two words, I am those around him would have been rocked by this statement. It was a very provocative thing for him to say. And you see that as you read, as you continue on throughout chapter 6 of, uh, of John. But, and here's why. Here's why it was provocative. See, typically in the Greek, uh, when we see someone talking about who they are or referring to themselves or being referred to, usually one of two words would have been used. It would either be ego or I me. And there are different instances where each of those might be used or either of those might be used, ego or I me. And ego is where we get the word ego, right? I'm talking about me. I'm introducing myself or, you know, so ego or I me. But what we see here in John is that it is not simply ego or I me that are used in what Jesus says. It's actually both of them. 
He uses both of them. It is not just ego or just I me. The Greek says ego I me. And so the literal rendering of these two words together would be more like I am, I am. Now to us that might sound a little bit redundant or it might sound a little bit like Jesus is stuttering there, right? You know, but, but here's the deal. That same phrasing is used in a few other places. Not many, it's, it's, it's rare. But it is used in a few other places. And one of the places that it is used is in the Septuagint. That is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And where this phrasing comes up, ego I me, where it comes up is in Exodus 3, where God appears to Moses in the burning bush. And, and, and Moses is going, hey, who should I tell them? You're sending me, but who should I tell them sent me? And, 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 and God appears to him and he reveals his identity and he says to Moses, I am who I am. He says, this is what you're going to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. It is, and, and this is the text where we get the covenant name Yahweh for God. And that name that was so holy that the, that the Jewish people wouldn't even pronounce it. But, but it, that is where if you read in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it says, Ego Aimi. I am who I am. And so that language that we see there in Exodus 3 is the same that we see here as we're looking at John chapter 6 as well. Now there's some other linguistic uh, qualities that we could venture into into the text that kind of even reinforce this more, but I'm not going to bore you with any, any more of that. What I will say though is that in using this language here and with what Jesus says here, what He is doing is He is connecting the dots between Himself and God. And He's saying, this is who I am. By using the term, I am, ego I me, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. By saying this, there would have been no mistake that Jesus is connecting Himself to Yahweh. And we see this throughout the text. If you continue reading through chapter 6 and even what we just read, you can see that Jesus is making this claim. He is making a divine pronouncement. It is His claim of deity. He is saying that I and the Father are one. That as you're, as, as you're looking at Me, I am. Now we need to hang on to that. And remember that as we go through the rest of this series. Because each time we come to one of these statements, I am the true vine. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Every time we come to one of this, that is what Jesus is, is saying right off the bat. He's drawing the line from Himself to the Father. From Him to Yahweh. The great I am. And He's saying, He and I are one. Ego, I am. I am. I am. Now here's the thing. Jesus could have just left it there. I mean, that's mic drop moment, right? Like he can just, I am, right? And walk away. But he doesn't do that, right? He doesn't do that. And thank, thank Jesus that he doesn't do that. You know, uh, because, you know, he, he, he just pointed to himself as, as having come from heaven, as being one with the Father. And he could just leave it at that, but he doesn't. He says, I am the bread of of life. I love this about Jesus is that so often we see him use the circumstance that he's in, the situation that he is in to, to be a catalyst for teaching. 
And, and it's so cool to me to look at this and so interesting to see the backdrop of this teaching here by Jesus because you know he is just uh, again he's just miraculously fed the multitudes on the mountain and he has just multiplied bread you know he's just taken five loaves and and multiplied it to where it fed thousands of people and then there were 12 baskets left over of bread and then here he is having a conversation with some of those same people that, who, who he fed and who have now tracked him down. And this conversation is all centered around bread. Now, bread is kind of an interesting thing for you and I to talk about nowadays. We kind of have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with it. You know, if you're like me, you love the taste of bread. Oh, so good. But you hate the carbs. You hate what it does to your midsection. And then there's the whole gluten-free thing, right? And, and so, you know, we, we've got this kind of weird relationship nowadays with, with bread. But back in Jesus' day, things weren't quite as complicated. You know, bread was the main element of a person's diet. It was an essential part of daily existence. Bread was a symbol of life. And so with bread, you lived. And without bread, you died. And so, as Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And, and listen, if you have an issue with bread, you know, you're on a keto diet or something like that right now, you know, just, just replace it with food. I am the food of life, okay? But, but, but by saying, I am the bread of life, by saying this about Himself, there's this picture that is being driven home by Jesus of where He is pointing Himself uh, to Himself as the place where true sustenance is found. Where, where He is the place where everything that is needed can be found. He is the all-sufficient supply. He is the one in whom life is found. You know, so, so first we see that God, you know, that He and the Father are one. He says, I am. He and the Father are one. This is what He reveals to us about Himself. But now He reveals to us that He is the place where everything that's needed is found, where the, the, our supply is truly found. You know, some of you will remember uh, last year we went through uh, Psalm 23. I was thinking about this this morning. And then the series that we went through was, was uh, Life Without Lack was, was kind of what we were looking at. And we looked at, used a, a book to guide us through some of that. But the whole premise of that is, is where we read, you know, that, that, that He's our shepherd we lack nothing. I lack nothing. And the, the, the idea is that in Him is found everything that we need. Everything that we need is found in Him. And, and that's exactly what we're seeing here. He's, he's saying, you know, in, in me, life is found. Now, of course, this statement, I am the bread of life, is drawn out by this whole discourse that leads up to it. And, and, you know, we're, we're there, he's, they're talking about manna. And, and really what they're getting at is we just want bread. <laughs> you know, that, that's this whole thing. That's what they keep coming back to. You know, but if you remember, because uh, I want to I come back to this. I, I, I think this is great. If you remember at the beginning of the passage, the people, you know, they've tracked down Jesus. He's slipped away from feeding everybody on the mountain. And, and, and now they found him. And they engage him in conversation. And, and I love this because if you go back through the text, can you put verse 25 back up there? You can almost picture kind of what they're doing here. 
It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And you're kind of like, you know, you almost picture him going like, hey, so surprised to see you here. Like, didn't think you, like, you know, they're just trying to be casual about it. Like, funny running into you. Like, we didn't know that you were going to be here, but here we are, and here you are. So how about some bread, right? You know, and so, so it's, you know, and I love that. But, but here's, here's what Jesus does. He completely ignores this, and he just totally reads their mail. He's like, I know what you're looking for. I know what it is that you're after, but what you're after is the wrong thing. Jesus answered, verse 26, very truly I tell you, if you are, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Jesus says, let's be honest. Let's be honest about what you're after here. You didn't come here because you're seeking God. You came here because you're seeking bread. Because you were on the mountain and I provided food for you to eat and you got your fill, but now you're hungry again. And so you're looking for another meal. But what Jesus says is, if that's what you're looking for, you're looking for the wrong thing altogether. If all you're looking for is the things of the earth, if all you're looking for is the material things, if that's all that you're chasing in life, then you're looking for the wrong thing. He says, if, if, if you're only here looking for bread, you are aiming too low. Verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, he says, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus says, if bread is what you're after, and if that's all that you are after, what you're after is never going to truly satisfy you. Now, how many of us are just like them at times? We may not want to admit it, we might not even recognize it sometimes until we're way down the road. But, but for some of us, we're chasing things in life that we think are going to satisfy us and, and, or, or things that are going to make us happy or things that are going to bring us contentment or things that are going to fill us up. We're pursuing desires in life that have become the main focus of our life at the expense of Jesus being pushed out to the sides instead of Him being our one true desire. And here's the thing, sometimes on the surface, these can even be good things that we're pursuing. I mean, we can all see times probably that we've, we've chased after things that were seemingly good, but Jesus has just been moved off the, off the center of our life at the expense of that. You know, and, and, and that's what we see here. Look, bread is not a bad thing. You know, knowing that you're going to eat. That's not a bad thing. In fact, you know, these people are hungry and they want to eat. So that's, it's totally reasonable for them to want to physically survive. But what Jesus is saying here is if that's all you're after, if that's the only thing that you're coming to me for, then you're aiming way too low. I think it was C.S. Lewis. He said, uh, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. And that's kind of like saying, you know, uh, the, seek first the kingdom and all of these things will be added to you, right? Aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you end up with nothing. End up with nothing. And that's exactly what the, where their aim is. is it's, at, it's at earth. We, we just want bread. 
you know, and they keep on throughout it. You can see, you know, they're coming with that, and, and he goes through this, and he tells them who, who he is, and they go, well, you know, in the wilderness, we had manna, right? They keep coming back to bread. He said, you, you don't get it. And so as we look at this text, Jesus, he calls the people out on it. He says, I know what you're chasing. I know that that's what you're chasing. I know the desires. I know the cravings. I know the appetites that you are seeking to satisfy in your life. But you have to know that you're after the wrong thing. You're aiming way too low. Because in me, in me is found something greater. In me is a greater food, a greater supply than you'll ever find in chasing any of those desires or cravings or appetites of the world. Because in me is eternal life. I am the bread of life, he says. That's who I am. I'm the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. Now, how many of us realize that it doesn't matter how much we eat when we sit down to a meal at times? We, we may be extremely full by the end of the meal, but we're always hungry again, right? Like, you ever eat a Thanksgiving meal and you feel like you get done with it and, like, you can't even take a sip of water because you're scared that it's not going to fit, right? Like, it's uncomfortable, right? You know? But what happens the next morning? You wake up and you eat breakfast, right? Because you're hungry again. But Jesus says, that's not the food to chase. Yeah, you need it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provide it. I'm going to care for you. All your needs are met in me. But if that's all you're looking at is the things of this world, then your aim is way too low. Amen. Now, I, um, I know last week you guys had an opportunity to, um, to share communion at the end of the, the service. I asked uh, Tristan to, to lead that last week and so grateful that, that, uh, that he did. But I, as I was preparing for the message this week, I was thinking, you know, I don't want to miss this opportunity this week to really think about Jesus as the bread of life and what that means for us. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to have an opportunity to share this again, but we're going to do it just a little bit different. Uh, the, the team is going to come up here in fact, I'm going to go ahead and invite them to, to come up right now. And we're going to play a couple of songs, okay? And so I'm going to invite you to just stay where you are for right now if you'd like. You can sit. Uh, if you at any point want to stand and sing, you're welcome to do that. I'm not going to lead us through communion. But I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that, to come forward whenever you feel comfortable, if you would like to, and, and grab elements and then when you are ready in your heart to receive communion, 